The word alleluia is one of those words that I think we sometimes forget. I've, when you hear it in, in, in uh, society, it's one of those ones that it's just, I don't know, they, they don't get it because the words alleluia are praise Yahweh. That's what it means. It means praise Yahweh. So we're taking the very personal name of our God and celebrating our Savior, celebrating our King. And it's good for us to remember that when we use the words Alleluia. You're very personally reflecting to the God of creation, the God of our hope, the God who is all-powerful and all-worthy. And so uh, when you hear it in the world, I hope it does kind of give you a bit of a... Because sometimes they say hallelujah to the weirdest things, um, and even blasphemous things if you think about it. Um, but for us, the words alleluia are very personal, very personal opportunity for us to praise our God. Heavenly Father and gracious God, we thank you for this opportunity to look into your word. Again, Lord, I pray that you would take simple words from a simple servant and minister them to the hearts of your people, that what is ever true, whatever is true and spoken, Lord, that you would would manifest it in their hearts, that it would change and transform them, and in whatever way I fail, that you would burn that chaff away, and instead, Lord, uh, grow your people through the truth. I pray these things in your glorious name. Amen. So, I don't know. I'm hoping this is a shared story, and I'm not just making some kind of bizarre confession, but it, I remember it was a sunny Saturday and I was intent on cleaning my garage. It's a job that needs to be done. And this was the day. I'd marked it out. I'd said, okay, I need a day where it's sunny out because I'm, what I'm going to do is I'm going to move everything out of the garage into the driveway. And I'm going to sort everything out. There's going to be a pile to go to the dump. There's going to be a pile that could, that's going to go back in. There's going to be a pile that's going to be given away. And there's a pile that I'm going to, I don't know, scratch my head about probably. But as I got going in the day, and you know, it's seven o'clock in the morning, it's a little cool outside, the sun's shining, the garage door's up, and I'm just firing stuff out off of every shelf and out of every corner. My entire garage is emptied and sitting in the driveway, which can be, if you're living in town, apparently a, uh, a bit of an uh, invitation to yard sailors. <laughs> I had to beat them off with a stick. It was like, hey, oh no, it's not for sale. Off you go, get, no. Uh, actually, it was kind of constant all day. But about 2 o'clock in the afternoon, that morning zeal, that, that passion for the project began to seem a little more overwhelming. I was getting a little tired and a little less interested in looking at my own junk laying out in the yard. So I stopped sorting it. My decisions were of lower quality. And by 3 o'clock, I was just stuffing it all back in the garage. I didn't have the energy or the interest to finish. So it is with human beings often that we come up with great ideas and great schemes and we fail to complete. But how different is our God? All-powerful, all-knowing, holy and perfect, intent on His purposes. He doesn't weary or fade from the task that He has undertaken but always faithfully carries it to its conclusion. And that's good news for us as we look back in Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to look back at the text we've been studying over the last, this will be the fourth week of this study. 
Our emphasis this week will be on verse 10, but we're going to get our framework back again by reading from verses 1 to 10. So Ephesians chapter 2, 1 to 10. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and it is not, this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And as we've walked through this text, we get a real picture of grace and God's sovereignty and God's purpose in our salvation. Kind of running it through the grid, the the doctrines of grace, we see that we start in verses 1 and 2 with total depravity. We were dead. There, There was nothing in and of ourselves. We were subject to the passions of our flesh. So there was nothing in us that was capable of achieving the holiness necessary for a relationship with God. Our lives were sin-soaked apart from Christ. But God, not a conditional election, not that God called us because we were worthy, but an unconditional election. God intervened when we were unworthy, the extension of His grace, unmerited favor, divine intervention, if you will. Those two words still, the ones that resonate in Scripture for me, but God. And then sort of a a good framework for particular atonement in verse 5. He made us alive together with Christ. Whom did He make alive? Who has He redeemed? Who has He paid the penalty of sin for? Those He chose. Right? So we got the but God. This reflection of the change between living for the world and living in the world and living in the flesh to now being redeemed by God and made us alive and raised us up and saved us by grace. This is the application of the work of Christ in us. There's no being made alive apart from the sacrifice of Christ. And there's no one in hell who was made alive in Christ. That's inconsistent, right? So as we see this, we see we are made alive in Christ. And then the irresistible grace. The fact that we're dead and we come. Dead men don't come of their own strength. Dead men come at the beckon of God. And we respond when God changes our heart, when He changes our focus, when He redeems us, the affections of our heart change and we come. For if we were redeemed and our souls made holy, where else could we go? Where else would we go but drawn to Christ? 
And in this text, we, kinda, we get to see a picture of perseverance, that we are His workmanship, and this workmanship gets completed in Christ. We saw it already in verse 6, in the past tense, we were raised. We are ascended in Christ. It's a now and not yet. The reality is that we are made whole in Christ now. That promise of salvation isn't one that might come to pass. It's a promise that's anchored in God that will come to pass. And we as His workmanship will experience that. Verse 10 again says, For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So we've seen this grace. God reached out to us when we were dead in our trespasses and sin. God loved us in verse 4 when we were not loving Him. He gave us life in verse 5. He, grace has secured our future in verses 6 and 7. And grace has secured our salvation in verses 8 and 9. Everything we possess as a believer is ours through the grace of God. We earned nothing we've received. We've deserved nothing we have received in Christ. We purchased nothing we received in Christ. Everything we have in Christ is given by grace, the grace of God Almighty. But it wasn't given without purpose. It was free of price, but not free of purpose. God saved us intentionally and for a purpose. The work of grace results in some real changes in our lives. If you've, if you've met anybody who's met a, a big celebrity, as an example, and, and the next time you meet them, what's the first thing they tell you? You'll never guess who I met. I ran into, whether if they're a hockey fan, it might have been a hockey player that they bumped into while they were shopping in Edmonton. Or, or if, it's a, if they're musically inclined, it might have been somebody that they bumped into while they were walking a street and they saw somebody that's famous to them. Or, or if you're a techie person, you might have bumped into Bill Gates or something. But if you ran into these people, what would be your response? Would you say something? Would you tell somebody? When you get home, what's the first thing you tell your spouse? Hey, you never guess who I saw today. How much more, how much more would the impact be expected if we were to have ever encountered Christ? If we were to have met Jesus of Scripture by the power of the Holy Spirit, a wash over us, the transformation of our lives from life to death, what would that picture look like in, in the way we communicate? Sometimes we miss the fact that we've met the most significant person in all of human history in salvation and sometimes we forget that that's the part of our lives that is supposed to just pour forth. And these changes that happen because we've encountered Christ, because of the transformation in Christ, allow us to live for God. Our living for Him according to His will brings glory to His name. And that's what He wants from us. He wants us to live as if we'd encountered Him. He wants us to live and celebrate the message of that encounter, the gospel hope. When grace comes to a lost sinner, that sinner is born again, a new creature in Jesus Christ from Corinthians 5.17. The old appetites and way of living are laid aside for a brand new life in Jesus. What God works in us by His grace 
will work its way out in our lives. I always say that the model of Christianity is we should be Christian toothpaste. When you squeeze the tube, what comes out? (laughs) Our faith, our relationship, what's on the inside must come out. Not only are we saved by grace, we are changed by that grace. And as the, grace of, as the grace of God works itself out in its lives, it manifests us through works. If we are of Christ, we do things of Christ. If we are redeemed in Christ, our activity is a testimony to what we believe. If you believe the stove is hot, you don't touch the stove. If you believe the dog will bite, you don't go up to the dog. If you believe you've encountered the living Christ, the God who is worthy of all worship, honor, glory, praise, it changes you and you act accordingly. No? Yeah? Okay. Martin Luther was quoted as saying, we are saved by faith alone, but the faith that saves is never alone. We are saved by faith alone, but it's always accompanied by a transformation. Works don't save us, but we've been saved to good works. James chapter 2, verses 17 and 18. So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Someone will say to me, you have faith and I have, and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. The testimony of our faith is how we lead our lives. Ephesians 2, verse 10, is about the work of grace in our lives. The Lord works through us to accomplish His will in the world. He saved us to be a people, to be examples of grace. So we're going to look at it in three parts. We're just going to break that that verse down into three parts. And the first part is talking about workmanship. For we are his workmanship. The word workmanship is something that means to be crafted, like a work of art, to be created. It's actually where we get our word poem. To be drawn out, to be created. It's our God who formed us like a potter forms clay. And so this is, he is creating us and working us and fashioning us for a purpose. 2 Corinthians 5 verses 4 and 5 said, For while we are yet in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we should be unclothed, but that we be further clothed, so that what is mortal might be swallowed up in life. He who has prepared us or fashioned us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee." God is fashioning us and working us. The redeemed are God's love letters to the world. Listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 2 and 3. You yourselves are our letter of recommendation, written on our hearts, to be known and read by all, that you should know, that you, and you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. We're supposed to be this letter of love to God. We are supposed to be this 
fashioned image, this, this changed and transformed being, this, this message to the world that needs to hear the gospel hope of Christ, lived vibrantly in his people. If you're saved, your life is a love letter to the lost, to the dead world. He's written his love in you and through you by grace and mercy. And through you, he tells the world that story that we had to hear, that he loves sinners, that his son died to redeem the lost, and that there's life-changing power in the grace of God, that the gospel is real and transformational, that there's power in the blood of Jesus Christ. That's the message that's being written in our lives. That is what we are being fashioned for so that the world would hear and see and know our God. You're God's billboard upon which he has written his message. No artist creates a painting to put it away in a closet or no sculptor creates a sculpture just to to hide it away someplace. No, just as God has fashioned us and worked us out and created us, He did it so that we would be seen and be seen by many. God saved us to display us to the world. He saved us that we, He might show the, other, the rest of the world what He desires to do in them. When a sinner is saved, it is the greatest miracle. It is the greatest miracle because a dead man walks. We need to be a testimony to that. When God saves a sinner, a new person is formed. And again, that's what we read from the reading this morning. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled himself and gave us the ministry of reconcil- reconciliation. That is, In Christ, God was reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them, entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. This art speaks. This peace speaks. This molded and formed workmanship of God is to speak to His world in a way that it never did before. Remember that word for. What's the for? For? Well, the beginning of verse 10 starts with a for, and it's pointing back to verse 8 and nine, and told us our salvation isn't by works. But then in verse 10, it says it is that we can work, that we can live this out. We did not save ourselves. We did not pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. We didn't turn over a new leaf or come up with a good idea. We just didn't decide to change our lives. Salvation occurred because God's divine intervention in our lives drew us to Christ and changed us and made us a new creation in Christ. And He wants us to exclaim that truth to the world. That's what it means to be His workmanship. Well, let's talk about the works. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Works do not save. If you believe works save, then you're not listening to the message. It is salvation by grace through faith in Christ alone. But it is an absolute sure product of salvation. If you know Christ, you are changed. And you are motivated, and you are excited, and you are a new creation in Christ. As surely as you're saved, good works will mark your life. 
The child of God will evidence a life that's occupied with with activities and deeds and words that reflect on the Lord Jesus Christ. Philippians 1.27, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. The good works of our new life in Christ stand in contrast to the old works of the flesh. We are no longer bound by the flesh. We're no longer bound by our sinfulness. But we are motivated and excited and passionate about our Savior. Galatians 19.21 Now the works of the flesh were our evidence. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. It's pretty bold language, but it's a reminder. Where do your passions lie? It's a good test for us. The new life God places within us saves us and manifests us towards good works and not these things, these impurities, these sensualities, these idolatries, these sorceries. These are are in conflict with a soul redeemed in Christ. When we are truly in Christ, we walk different. It's evidence, not merit. It doesn't earn us a special spot in heaven. It doesn't earn us our salvation. But it's evidence of our faith. Remember the old question, if you were in the courts accused of being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? It's kind of that point. It's an examination. Because when God saves, He changes us. And we abide in Him. And when God dwells in my life, He will make His presence known. If He's in in your life, He will make His presence known through your life. Matthew chapter 7, verse 16 and 18. You will recognize them by their fruits. Our Grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles. So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. It's assurance through evidence. This is about understanding you're standing before God. This is about knowing where you're at. In light of fruit, are you feeling fruity? It should be our prayer if we're struggling, if we're suffering, if we're having a hard go of it, if we don't know, if we're wrestling with sin, what's the response? What's the response? I'll take any answer. Repentance, absolutely repentance. It's not about more of us. See, we're the problem. We need more of Christ. It's about focusing on who He is. It's about praying in earnest, God, set me free. It's about focusing the affection of your heart. Matching the language of your life to the language of your salvation. It's about saying, I find my hope and strength in Christ. I find my purpose in Christ. I find my direction in Christ. I find my hope in Him. And it's about building that relationship and continuing to strengthen that relationship in Christ. 
Because real salvation changes lives. And I would ask you, as an examination of your heart, not that anyone can lose their salvation, but we want to be assured of our salvation. And that's about digging deep and making sure we understand what it is to be made a new creation in Christ. What it means to be desiring to do the good works that God has called us to. And if we're struggling in that area, it's where we get down on our knees and we pray. It's where we get into the counsel of fellow believers. It's where we get into God's Word to make sure we understand. Because God is not a God that hides these things from us. He gives us very clearly, this is what this life looks like. It's abundant. It's free. There's no anxiety. There's no, there's no um, hopelessness. This faith we've been given is, is this dynamic, and, and when we feel those things, and when, we, and when we struggle with those things, it's for us to go back deeper into God's Word and find those answers and find that place because God relieves us from this. He is creating us for good works. He is relieving us from the sins of the flesh. He is giving us hope. The last piece is about our walk. Ephesians chapter 10 again, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. These good works God has ordained for us. The statement makes it clear that God expects his people to walk in good works. Ben was teaching us that from the Philippians text, that there's this walk, there's this uh, consistency, there's this decision, that there's this uh, manifestation of our life, this path and pattern that's guided. And we should walk it with desire. You know, guys, you remember when you first started to date or court your, your spouse, you would have marched across a mile of broken glass just to spend five minutes staring into those sweet eyes. And so to be motivated in our relationship with God. Oh, just to spend another moment in His presence. Oh, to spend another moment in His Word. Oh, to spend another moment declaring His glory through life, actions, and words. He is our first love, and this should be what we desire. How does God expect His people to walk? Well, Scripture talks about it in all over the place. He talks about us in be, um, walking in love from John chapter 13, verse 35, and Romans, and in 1 Corinthians 13. He talks about us walking in obedience, again from John 14, and in faithfulness in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, and in holiness. But does He expect us to do it perfectly? Uh-oh, no. No, not perfectly. But what's, what's so special about not perfectly? There's something about that that's actually pretty kind of cool. Because when we don't walk perfectly, as we walk as those who repent, as we walk about the, as those who sorrow when we sin, think of the message we send. You know, oftentimes when from the outside world, the old, the old complaint was, oh, the church is full of hypocrites. And my response was, 
No, the church is full of broken people who aren't perfect. But boy, we have a glorious Savior who continues to forgive and walk with me and strengthen me, encourage me and promise to me the hope that comes in Him. Our message isn't a message of Christian perfection. Our message is a message of a perfect Savior who walks with us and guides us and keeps us this whole path. And when we fall, especially parents, as a, as a parent who missed the mark on that so many times, when I fall, repent in front of your children. Don't convince them that there's some sort of perfection that, that the parents have that they don't know so that when they reach the age and have to see the faith for themselves that they're not confused. Jesus doesn't take perfect people. He takes broken people and perfects them. Ultimately, in glory, live the confession, live the repentance, live that reality before your kids and before your neighbors and before the people you work with. They need to hear, I make mistakes, I make bad choices, I sin against my God, but He loves me and forgives me. That's what that path looks like. It's a little like this, a lot like that. But sanctification is a process. God saves you from a life of sin and He begins that transforming process. He, he remakes you into the image of His Son. Galatians chapter 4, verses 18 and 19. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose. And not only when I am present with you, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. And keep going over. We'll go to Romans chapter 8, verse 29. What is this work looking like? For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. We're not perfect the instant we get saved, but we are changed. And that change should manifest itself in an ever-increasing holiness before God and before the world. The truth is we're all a work in progress. But I have it on good authority that we, God will finish what He starts. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. And this one should just make your eyeballs light up and your hands wiggle a little. Being confident of this very thing, that He which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. God never lets us go and always moves us towards the image of, our, of His Savior. And unlike my garage which probably would never get cleaned out, God in His strength, God in His purpose will perfect His people and ultimately glorify them. Progress. Day by day, make me just a little bit more like Jesus. The phrase which God performed, prepared beforehand reminds us we are the predestined the elect and the chosen. He picked us when we did not believe. He picked us when we were dead. He picked us before we were a twinkle in our Father's eye. He picked us before the foundation of the world. And it was God's plan to save us by His grace so that we might live for Him. 
Before we ever came to Jesus by faith, God already planned the path and would have, and would have us walk into new life. Of the prophet Jeremiah, it says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you prophet to the nations. But so it is with every saint that God, before the day of our birth, before we were formed, before the foundation of the world, He has set us apart for this. Of John the Baptist in Luke chapter 1, verse 13 says, Before He was born, God had already determined the path they would take through life. And the same is true for us. Proverbs 16.9, the heart of man plans his way, but God establishes his steps. What's the plan? Is it some tiny, thin, red line that we're supposed to walk like a tightrope through history? God, am I supposed to take this step? God, am I supposed to take this step? God, am I supposed to take this? No! It's God living out God's Word as He intended us to do. He's told us already. Read the Great Commission. It's full of instruction. This is what you were called to do. To live and and in the steps of your life to proclaim His glory and to live for Him. Testimony for God. He left us. I've said this before, but God didn't redeem us and then zip us off to heaven. If that was His purpose, we'd be gone by now. If all he was doing was collecting us like, like marbles or whatever we collect, that's a little dated. But marbles were fun in their day. But he's not collecting us like something like that. No, he calls us to himself, purposes us, calls us to his purpose. That's amazing. Have you ever been invited by someone to be on a project with them and were just honored for the invitation? Like somebody at work says, you know what, actually, I think you could help me with this. You're kind of like, oh, that's cool. I want to be part of this. Imagine that the all-powerful, almighty, glorious God of creation said, I want you to be part of this. I'm going to redeem you. To redeem you, I'm going to sacrifice my own son to purchase you so that your life might be part of something greater, something amazing. I want you to be part of this. What an incredible, mind-blowing honor it is for us to be purposed for God's end. To preach the gospel, to share the gospel, to live for His glory, to turn our back on sin. Sin looks so inviting until we smack ourselves in the head and say, my goodness, look what God has offered. An opportunity to be part of His plan, His program, His testimony for His glory. He brings us out of the dead. So that we can live a new life in Christ. He brings us out of deception so we can know truth. He brings us out of depravity so that we can know righteousness. He saves us from doom so that we can understand the blessings of salvation. God doesn't save us so that we can live our lives for ourselves. He saves us so we can live our lives in testimony to Him. He saves us so we can walk in the newness of life. He saves us so that we can, He can use us for His glory in the world. He saves us to put us to work for Him in bringing a lost world to Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father and gracious God, we thank You for this opportunity to look into Your Word and to understand what it means to be purposed of You. We were dead and we were made alive. And we were made alive to declare that new life to all who would hear. 
to live in the light of the gospel truth, to the glory of your name and to the salvation of souls. You loved us so much that despite your gloriousness, your perfection, your holiness, and your self, you didn't need us. You were self-satisfied in the Godhead, the triunity, loving and worshiping and glorifying one and the other. And yet you step out and into time in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ to live in the flesh, to live a perfect life amongst imperfect people, to show us the love of God and to take the sin of the saints to the cross. And we are humbled by that. We were purchased by an infinite price. But death could not hold our Savior. And on the third day He rose as a pattern of life in Him and was ultimately ascended. Death has no hold on us because Jesus Christ defeated the grave. The life we live now, we live in Christ. A testimony to His glory. A testimony to His gospel. Lord, even as we prepare to partake in the table this morning, may the weightiness of the purchase overwhelm us. May the weightiness of the love displayed cause our knees to buckle just a little. May the infinite value of being called sons and daughters of God wash over us as we break bread and drink the cup and celebrate the Lord Jesus until He comes. In His name, Amen.